Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Our speaker for the next number of days is Merle Nisley, who, as a young man, uh, moved up to Northern Ontario uh, and uh, has spent his life uh, ministering there among First Nations people. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, when you look around in the uh, sort of missions world, you see a lot of uh, sort of glitz and sort of people are trying to recruit and get people signed up. And, and uh, I sometimes I think uh, I find some of that distracting in the sense that I look for people in the world of missions who have just been quietly doing it for years. And that's the thing uh, about Merle that is always, um, I've, I've just found very encouraging someone that I've always appreciated his voice in, uh, but not just his voice, his, uh, uh, the way that he has simply quietly served in the areas that God has called him to serve at. And uh, it's those types of people that I love to just sit and listen to from their experience, the ways that God has led them and directed them, and uh, hear them talk about this endeavor of missions that we've been called to as a church. So uh, I don't know how much of his own story he will tell, but uh, join me in welcoming Merle. Appreciate it. Uh, there's certain people that I've, uh, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, that I've, all my life, I feel like they've been old men. <laughs> like when I was a student here, they were an old man, and now they're still an old man. Uh, and then there's other people, uh, and Merle would be this category, that like when I met them, they were sort of, you know, middle-aged, and they're still just middle-aged. <laughs> and... Uh, just continuing on. And uh, anyway, it's a great tomorrow. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for uh, the way that uh, you are moving in the world. And, and Lord, as we look at how we can be involved in, uh, in what thank you're doing, you. pray that you would bless us. Lord, bless Merle as he shares with us. And uh, Lord, open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I, I, I take deep breaths when I'm stressed. My wife always knows, and I'm pacing around the house, and I just stop and go <laughs> like that. She goes, what is the matter with you? And anyway, she knows I'm, so I need a couple deep breaths this morning. I'm, I'm not highly stressed, but it's, it's both uh, challenging and a little scary to talk to a group of people like this and to come to the the Harvard of Bible colleges and to, <laughs> and to kind of um, try to fit in there somehow. But I, I'm, I'm, honored, I'm honored to be invited here. And uh, can we go ahead with the, uh, uh, that's fine. I'm honored to be here to talk about uh, 
with you, to think with you about this idea of mission. And I want to start with, with a, an idea, a question. Is God on a mission? Is, is he, in some sense, on a mission? So that's what I want to do. And I, 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 I'll, I'll keep throwing in, uh, before I go to any further, Matt, what place on that clock shall I stop? Two thirty. <laughs> <laughs> At eleven oh five. Eleven oh five is when this class period starts. Give me eleven. Okay. Twelve. Okay. She says twelve. So, uh, she's she's closer than you are. So I'll, I'll go with that. All right. Thank you. You're at a place where where uh, a lot of people are telling you a lot of things. And I come here today, and maybe you think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a couple more pieces and put them on my list. A, a few more pieces that I'll stick in my pocket or in my notebook. I I hope you do. I but I but it's it, there's a big difference between grabbing pieces that we think of as certainties or letting someone's voice move us along in our pursuit of wisdom. You got the difference between that? Between writing down a couple things that I can say, here's another, here's another piece of, of certainty that I can put in my bag as compared to that voice helps move me along in my pursuit of wisdom as God defines wisdom. And I encourage you to have that kind of as a, a mantra, as a way of, of seeing life, as a way of learning, as a way of listening to people, and even as a way of reading the scriptures. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've been around a little while, and I, I have to tell you that at this stage in my life, I think that still becomes a defining thing for me. It becomes something that 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 just keeps me uh, on edge a little bit, keeps me off balance a little bit, and I think it's a good thing. Some people are disturbed by the, by the fact by when we're not quite always so confident or so certain. But the things that I've learned in life, if one of the greatest takeaways is coming to life to this day, to the scriptures, not looking for certainties near as much as pursuing wisdom. So my encouragement to you is that I'm not going to say everything the way someone else would say them. I'm not going to say everything that ought to be said. You have to put the things I say in the bag with many other things. You have to put the stories that I tell, the story of my life, you have to put that in with a whole lot of other things in your pursuit of wisdom. And so I'm not here to finally set you straight. I'm just here to add, hopefully, to what you're collecting. Which way do I point this in order to make it? I mean, toward where do I point it? Back there? Shouldn't matter. There. Um, 
Yeah, I'll introduce myself. Thanks, Matt, for a, a nice introduction. That's my wife, Rita, there in the picture. And the reason I put my contact information up there right now is because I'd like you to feel free to uh, send me questions that something I say uh, triggers in your mind. And I'll do my best to come back to that next session or, or something, uh, at least if, if it's not outrageous or too scary. Um, so please feel free to do that. Lost my clicker already. All right. I have a hope. I have hopes for our time here. I have hopes for how we talk and what what we take away. And this is really wordy. I get, especially when I write, I get way too wordy. So I thought about toning this down, but I'm going to go through it fast. There's a lot of words here. But here's the thing. I made a PDF of this, and if you wish you could review it, you can get it from somewhere. On the uh, Matt's going to upload it, and you can get it. You know where to get it. Where is it, Matt? Public server. So, uh, if you want to review it, well, let me let me go through it quickly here. Whoops, I, I'm doing the doing it backwards. And when I turn back like that to look at it, something bad happens. So that's my punishment for not. So Matt, you'll have to tell me if my if it actually if it actually uh, forwarded. First one is there. I can't I can't handle that. You know I got to know. All right. My greatest hope for your life mission is to daily search behind the curtain, where the mysteries of the reality of God change your view of the world and all of reality. I could talk about that for a long time, but my my understanding is that right here, right between you and me, there's sort of a curtain behind which there are still lots of mysteries, behind which God is a lot more fully revealed than he is on this side of the curtain. And I, part of the pursuit, part of our mission is just a little more pursuit, a little more digging, a little more going after the mysteries of the reality of God. I got the right button that time. That's the problem. I had, I'm pointing this thing the wrong way. It doesn't say which is up and which is down. <laughs> Where your faith is a flourishing plant, watered and fed by the grace, the love, the mercies of God, the wisdom and knowledge of God. These are my hopes for you. And... I hope that these days push you, move you a little bit further along that. To increasingly realize what it means to be in Christ, organically being changed into his likeness. That's different than just adding to your knowledge. That's different than just adding to the list of things you believe. To walk with your neighbors in real life, learning to love those who see the world through a different lens, to serve the needs of real people, to relieve oppression, to make peace, to increasingly engage in the ministry of reconciling the world to God, 
a ministry shaped by your own reconciled membership in the body of Christ and your journey into this mission itself. And finally, to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. That's a quote, you know. Who's that about? Who is that described in the scriptures? Jesus himself. And I don't know of a better, I don't know of a better thing to just hold in front of myself all the time is to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man and humans. We grow even in that. I'm glad for that because I like to be liked. Is God on a mission? If so, what is it like? And are we supposed to be on a mission? Fifty years ago this very month, I began a phase of my working out a definition of mission. And as Matt said, I'm only 35, so that's a while back. Is God on a mission? Fifty years ago, I thought I knew simple answers to that question. I thought I knew simple answers to more questions than that. Through my home church and in a few terms here at what was Rosedale Bible Institute, I had absorbed a system of belief. I had absorbed a theology. I had absorbed a sense of mission. I like that word absorbed when it comes to, as you'll see in my talking, I, I think we absorb a whole lot more than we learn. <laughs> uh, we, we absorb things so unbelievably. I was thinking while we sing in the songs this morning, and those are good songs, uh, you even changed a phrase that I that annoys me in one of those songs, but you changed it a little bit. Anyway, one of the biggest challenges for, a, for an institution like Rosedale Bible College is to battle the theology that everybody's learning through their songs, to, to deal with that. Because people like you and our Christian society is way more shaped theologically and doctrinally by the stuff we sing than we are by the scriptures, by our understanding of them. So that's not part of my message this morning. But I do that kind of thing all the time, and then it takes me longer. So I had absorbed a lot. I had absorbed things from being in a family like this. Just an interesting tidbit. Jeremy's grandmother's in that picture because she's my sister. I came from a big family, as you might guess from that picture. That's not my cousins. That's my parents and my siblings. And I don't know if you found me yet. I'm not sure you should. But I'm the little guy sitting in the front middle, standing in the front middle, standing between my parents, I think. I'm not allowed to look back, but I think that's where I am. 
phase one of my exploration in the ministry, I was extremely naive and somewhat misinformed, somewhat uninformed in my sense of mission. I viewed it as an adventure, and that's not wrong. I viewed it as an opportunity to make a positive contribution to needy people, and that's not wrong. And I expected to benefit from the adventure and the sense of satisfaction. But I'll come back to stage one, phase one, on Friday morning. I have reasons for coming back to phase one on Friday morning. I'm going to go to phase two now. And I think there's a scripture verse there, right? John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. I've had that verse on my wall for um, 30 some years um, in more than one place. I have one at home and I had one in my office when I had an office. I didn't always work in an office, but I did a long time. A long time ago, between phase one and phase two, when I finally began to uh, get a, 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 lot, a little better sense of what I was pursuing and what God might be saying to me, this verse became a life verse for me. Um, I did something that I don't do anymore. I took a verse out of the scripture and assumed that it was God speaking directly to me and that it was my personal message from God. I don't do that anymore, but I'll tell you what I do do and what you, I encourage you to do with this verse is that its message, that it's, a, it's words that Jesus said to his disciples and he meant it for them, but its message is consistent with what Jesus expects from the church. And so it may inspire me. It may change my value system. It may affect things I say and how I see this world and what I do with my life and my resources and the time I have. So I'm not apologetic that this is a life verse for me, but I don't take it as a personal message anymore. That's another little tidbit. Phase two was a lot more mature, but still very naive. Rita and I independently in our prayer time felt a strong urging from the Holy Spirit that we should connect back with phase one in a different way and that we should return to a village in northwestern Ontario where we'd had a short-term missions experience. And that's uh, a place in Ontario. I think the map of Ontario is back there now. And Ontario, in case you don't know it, is, you know, you can see the Great Lakes there. You can see that uh, much of the mass of Ontario is above the state of Minnesota. 
And in fact, where we live and where I've been now for these many years is directly north of Minnesota, uh, straight north of Minneapolis, if that rings a bell with you. It was a place where life is very different. The village we went to, the language is very different, and the world looked very different. As you saw from the previous picture of my family when I was very young, I came from a childhood in which the answers to life's questions were quite simply explained. They were explained from a Mennonite culture where a literalistic approach to scripture shaped our views of absolute truths. And I went instead to a culture where there were no absolutes I could recognize. That's a shocking thing to get to some place where you can't recognize what you thought were the certainties of life. For example, being stingy was way worse than fornication or adultery. Generosity is among the highest virtues. Almost sounds like Jesus. Marriage, marriages could be, could, could be um, officially sanctioned by the will of parents. Knowledge was provided by the older people, not by books, not by teachers. The laws of nature were not laws at all because the elements of nature were alive. I was once asked by a, by a man in total sincerity, you fly airplanes, he said to me. He was speaking in this, his language. He said, when, when you're flying around, do you see the Thunderbirds sometimes? We don't get to see them from the earth. I thought maybe when you're high in the air, you'd actually see them. These things are not, uh, things are changing. I'm not trying to describe to you how everybody thinks right now, but uh, the old man on the right side of this photograph, he wants just very matter-of-factly explained to me how that the evening before he had, he had steered the Thunderbirds around the village through the use of his pipe and tobacco and saying, doing the right things. And he had steered the Thunderbirds around the community. And he asked if I noticed that the, the thunderstorms went past and didn't actually affect us. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of place I went to and why certainties and absolutes seemed unrecognizable to me, the ones I was used to. It was God's version of my university education, my seminary experience. I'm not blaming God for the fact that I was assigned to develop a local church without a certificate. 
without a degree, without even prior experience in doing so. I'm one of those cases where you might say, that's totally crazy. That should never have happened. And I'd probably agree with you in many ways. Or you might look at the later stages of my story and say, that's totally crazy. I couldn't have imagined that God would make something useful out of such a disaster waiting to become a catastrophe. That's the way my story started. I still don't have a degree past my high school diploma. So now here I am, 70 years old, looking back on a lifetime of interaction and learning with a people group from whom I've learned so very much. Here I am still tweaking a developing theology of mission with a developing doctrinal system. Maybe you think, see, if you'd, if you'd had a seminary degree, then you wouldn't still be developing your theology and doctrine. Ask the people who are teaching your classes whether that's true. That if you, once you've got a degree, then you're not developing anymore, then you're not tweaking anymore. If that's true, you, better, you should find another school to go to. That's a personal opinion. <laughs> I know, they'll straighten you out after I leave. That's the, that's the safety valve here, is that, that they've got all year to correct everything I tell you today and tomorrow. One of the reasons, one of the ways in which my theology is shaped and my doctrine is shaped by the education I got is for these reasons. I, instead of doing this ahead of time, I studied essential Christian doctrines for the sake of teaching others. I know I had learned stuff before, but not that way. And then I had to teach them in a different language. And then I taught them without one single resource written in that language. Not one. No books. No nothing. Not even a Bible that they could, that was in their dialect. There was a Bible that was close, but not theirs. And less than 60% of the ones I was teaching could even read that. And maybe most significantly in my education, to people who didn't ask the same questions I asked. Now that's a problem when you're wanting to teach people and they don't ask the right questions. Isn't it, Matt? Either Matt 
either one, anybody. So we have, an, we, have, we have a choice in times like that. And how does this apply to you? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the kid you're going to school with next year in university or here who doesn't ask the right questions. These things are applicable. I think the life lessons, the education I got, I hope that it influences you whether you ever do anything like, whether your story is remotely like mine, you live with people who don't ask the same questions you do. That's my university education. You can decide if you're wondering what's happening there. The guy's making snowshoes, and I was learning from him right at that time, and I snapped a bunch of pictures. That's my university education. That's my seminary education. It's what shaped it shaped my theology, maybe more than, it sh than I shaped anyone else's. It shaped my doctrine, shaped my view of scriptures. See, we have a choice at times like that. We can say, I've got to bring you to where I am so that you can understand me. That's the worst kind of communication strategy there is. A long time ago, one of my friends did a PhD dissertation called Receptor-Oriented Communication. And I'd have to dig and dig to find his stuff. But I'll tell you, it, fortunately, I got hold of that a long time ago. And I began to understand that what is absorbed is what's communicated. He didn't use that word, but what is heard, what is absorbed is what's communicated, not what I shout. What I shout at you is not communication. What you absorb is the communication. So you can decide whether that's an education or a travesty, but it's my story. Is God on a mission? Does God have a mission? Let's get back to that. If you absorbed the typical American Christian message, you'd probably say, God is on a mission to tell people about Jesus. That's a phrase we use a lot. Go tell people about Jesus. God is on a mission to keep people from spending eternity in hell. Or God is on a mission to help people become more like me. Or God is on a mission to help the world raise their standard of living, to be better educated, to learn English finally, to read the Bible, to be part of a church, to stop sinning, to love each other. And maybe God is even on a mission to spread democracy and capitalism. I carry a sharp stick sometimes, poke people with it. But I'll try not to do that. There's so many questions. Does God act with a sense of urgency on his mission? Did I do this? No. Um, I'll just put them all out there for now. We've got to finish up here shortly. Does, that, does God act with a sense of urgency? Does God act out of his deep disappointment in his creation? 
Does God act to save his reputation? Right now, does God act to save a declining North American church enterprise? And we think, sure, God is on a mission. But man, when you read the Old Testament, it's a series of false starts. It's like, uh, I love football. And believe it or not, I live a long ways from here. But I scarcely miss an Ohio State football game. I watch them religiously, almost. You know what this is? False start. What's the penalty? Five yards. And in case that doesn't make any sense to you, a team can have the ball one yard away from a first down. And some over-enthusiastic person moves too early. And they throw a flag, and they've got to move the ball back five yards. So instead of being one yard away from whatever they wanted, a first down or a score, They've got to back up five yards, play that down over again, and try again. For a long time, the Old Testament seemed to me like that. What a bunch of false starts. And where, I almost said, where in the heck is God's sense of urgency? I, it's confusing when we think that way, when we think that God has a big problem and he hardly knows how to do it. And the whole Testament just seems like a series of false starts and failures by people who were supposed to be on the mission. Finally, God sends his son to To the cross, finally, mission accomplished. Is that how it is? I don't think so. And I don't have time to help you, but we're going to, we're, I don't have time to fully deal with that, but we're going to work at that somewhat. Mission accomplished, except that people still reject God, except that the church is a flawed group of people except that creation is not yet redeemed, except that Jesus is not yet fully in charge of the nations, except that Satan is still prowling around like a destroyer, except that people still suffer and die, except that people still hate and destroy one another, except that people die of hunger and poverty. Mission accomplished? Is God on a mission? Is he frustrated with all the things that he's tried and that didn't work? Is he angry at all the people that failed on their part of the mission? Is he frustrated with some of you because you're not planning to be a missionary? Most people would say that I've been a missionary for 50 years. I don't say that. In my world, that's one of the most damaging labels I could use for myself. So my goal is not to inspire you to be a missionary, not in that sense. Maybe my experiences will inspire you that way, but it's not my goal. Several reasons for that. I'm not sure we know always what it is we're 
exporting. I'm not sure that we always know what we mean by telling people about Jesus. I'm not sure we always know what we mean by the word spread the gospel. So I want to help you think about some of that. What I do hope is to inspire you to develop confidence in your understanding of God's mission and plan. Whoops. I'm back on that other one. There, that's what I wanted. I hope to inspire you to develop confidence in your understanding of God's mission and plan. Your deep appreciation and experience of transformation by that plan. See that? That's, that to me is huge. It's not about us exporting something we haven't been transformed by. That's a negative way to say it. And it's your joyful and confident participation in the plan. And it's your anticipation of the completion of God's plan. That's what I hope to inspire you with this week. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.